Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Right, of course, we've been following very closely the UNRWA story. Uh, absolutely, I guess, not shocked, but horrified nevertheless. After suspending UNRWA, uh, the US, the, so the funding, UNRWA aims to send aid to other groups operating in Gaza. And it's very interesting to see how hard UNRWA themselves are pushing back. They're becoming almost overtly aggressive about what is happening in Gaza and how they claim that they have been curtailed. Now, it didn't come from nowhere, of course. We know the story. But uh, what happens What happens now? Is there a possibility of them, for example, being held accountable by their own organization, by the ICC, the, uh, the ICC, for example, because is UNRWA being involved in Hamas atrocities of October the 7th? Is that a war crime to which they can be held accountable? Anne Hertzberg, we've spoken with her before. She's a legal advisor of NGO Monitor. She's an expert in lawfare. Anne, a very good morning. Thank you for joining us once again. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. So this, of course, this is not a a surprising story to us because we've known for years, as has everybody pretty much, that UNRWA is complicit in what has gone on with Hamas. But we now know that there was overt support uh, for some of the attacks as well as the uh, hostage taking, keeping of hostages, uh, deeply problematic. What happens now and who can be held accountable for this? So what has happened is, especially when the, we, as you mentioned, we, we've known about these facts about UN UNRWA installations being used by Hamas to store weapons, to launch rockets, and then the awful details that came out about a week and a half ago that members of UNRWA actually participated in the massacre on October 7th. So these, these were incredibly shocking and egregious claims. So UNRWA fired the 12 alleged individuals immediately mm-hmm. and approximately 10, might be more now, 10 donor countries froze funding and the UN said it was going to launch an independent investigation. And a couple of days ago, Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General, appointed a uh, su- supposedly independent commission to investigate the claims regarding UNRWA. Um, so that that commission involves the a foreign foreign minister for France and three NGOs who are from the Nordic countries. And unfortunately, though, I do not think um, the UN investigation is going to do anything but exonerate UNRWA, because we've seen this in the past with with other investigations of the few that have been um, have really done very little to hold the agency accountable, even though we've known about these types of things happening for more than 20 years. Well, that's the point, isn't it? Because this certainly didn't come. If it if it didn't come to as news to me sitting here at the tip of Africa, I'm pretty sure that the United Nations knew that there were concerns around this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think really it was just it was this egregious discovery of the individuals participating in the attack, which was the final straw. It was something that they knew. 
I, I actually heard that they were the ones that informed some of the donors. And I think it's because it was such an egregious uh, event that they, they had to inform the United States and other big donors about it. And probably they didn't think, you know, given the impunity in the past, they probably didn't think that this severe, uh, these severe consequences would take place in terms of having the funding frozen. They probably just thought, oh, we fired them, we informed the donors, and somehow it'll get swept under the rug like everything else does. But um, that was not the case. I would say, though, I am concerned that even though countries have frozen the funds, I am concerned that several of them will either fail to do their own investigations, which is critical, or they will just accept what the UN investigation finds and then restore the funding. So it, to me, I, I am not sure if this is going to finally be an opportunity to hold UNRWA accountable, but we'll have to wait and see. So, certainly, certainly the yeah. oh sorry Go no, ahead. no 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 carry on because it's uh, the, the, the question is you know and I already see it on Twitter people saying to me of course the anti-Israel mob saying yes but already the uh, major newspapers have have retracted it now they haven't retracted it uh, there certainly uh, is a significant proof that UNRWA were involved it's it's almost. Uh, it's 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 so clear in terms of the amount of of evidence in this regard. How could they find? How could the United Nations possibly, in their so-called independent um, inquiry, how would it be possible for them to find them not culpable? Yeah, I mean, I th I think well, it's been very interesting. Some of the media has actually been doing essentially PR campaigns for UNRWA you know, putting out these articles that no one else can do what UNRWA does mm -hmm. in terms of humanitarian aid, which is bogus because there are 13 other agencies operating there and over 80 international NGOs. So that's bogus. But um, I think what what's going to end up happening is they will they will try to marginalize it as just these 12 individuals and basically do what they've done in the past, what donors have done, what the international aid community has done, is basically they just look the other way when it comes to things like the teachers teaching children incitement and hate and anti-Semitism and this telegram group that was discovered mm. actually by a former colleague of mine. He discovered the telegram group, a researcher named Eitan Fishberger. And on this telegram group, you know, hundreds of UNRWA teachers and employees were celebrating the attacks. This is in addition to the, the ones that actually participated in them. But I think that's what, what the, the narrative is going to be, that they, they are the only ones that can do humanitarian aid. They have the best ties in Gaza, and they're just basically going to well, look the other way. <laughs> that's true. They yeah. certainly do have the best ties in Gaza, but that's not the not uh, exactly what we would <laughs> yes. be looking for, right? I mean, that's exactly it. And I think October seventh was a watershed in terms of, in, in, for many things, but in addition, in terms of the humanitarian aid system in Gaza, it, it shows that the entire system has failed. It's completely flawed. All of these agencies were operating there. They either were complicit with Hamas or looked the other way. They were willfully blind. And UNRWA is, you know, the central actor in all of this. 
And it's shocking to me that these aid agencies that are coming to UNRWA's defense, that a lot of the diplomats and other UN officials coming to their defense is completely looking the other way at all of this. And they don't see that if the system goes back to the way it was, we are just going to keep having repeats of what's going on now because it can't continue this Mm. way. It can't continue that you have a terrorist organization in uh, controlling a territory and essentially these agencies are either paying bribes to the terrorist group or actively collaborating with them um, and thinking that this is a good model going forward regardless of how supposedly pure the motives are for helping people. Um, there, there has to just be a complete fundamental change in how people are approaching mm, mm. the problem of humanitarian aid. So why is it, you know, that's what I keep thinking, is why, why is it that everybody or a certain crowd will rush to the defense of UNRWA? Surely if they really are about Palestinian rights and assisting people in Gaza, they would look very critically at UNRWA And they could say, even if I hate Israel, well, it doesn't mean that UNRWA was performing the function that they were meant to do. But we don't seem to have that ability. The fact that they hate Israel seems to be that, well, they need to support UNRWA irrespective of the proof that is or, 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 or the very clear information in front of them. Yeah, because I think the thing with UNRWA is UNRWA's purpose is goes well beyond humanitarian. It serves a political purpose. It was established for a political purpose. It was established so that there would never be peace in the region. There would never be an acceptance of Israel. That's why UNRWA was established. That's why we have a separate, quote-unquote, refugee regime for the Palestinians that doesn't exist for anyone mm-hmm. else in the world. Mm-hmm. It's to keep... This refugee, you know, and again, I put it in quotes because if, you know, you're two years old and you're born in Gaza, you're not a refugee. You're, born, you know, so um, it, it was meant to keep this this myth alive that Palestinians were were going at one day to come back, destroy Israel and establish a quote unquote Palestine from the river to the sea. And that's the purpose of UNRWA. And that's why so many people have a, especially, you know, from that camp, can't criticize UNRWA because that's really what they're worried about if UNRWA gets dismantled. It's not the end of this humanitarian aid mechanism, which can be replaced. It is, it's the political purpose that UNRWA serves. And that is not so easily replaceable. And that's why they're upset because if you get rid of UNRWA, you get rid of a major block to resolving the conflict. Fascinating. Anne Hertzberg, thank you as always, legal advisor of NGO Monitor, expert in lawfare.